All right, folks, this is a big one. I probably got to do it in two parts because this is a major, major, major figure in jazz. Let's just say a giant among giants. We're talking about Maxwell Lumiel Roach. We just call him Max. Max Roach. Born in January of 1924 in a little town in North Carolina that was right on the edge of an area known as the Great Dismal Swamp. I'll say it one more time. The Great Dismal Swamp. Now, 1924 was a bad time to be black in America. But to be in North Carolina and black in America, that, that was terrible. And then to be living on the edge of the Great Dismal Swamp? Woo! Yes, sir. Okay. Your start is not so good. Uh-uh. That's a whole lot of stuff saying, oh, boy. So his family, uh, they decided to move away from there. <laughs> and they did. They moved to the Bed-Stuy, Bedford-Stuyvesant area of Brooklyn when young Max was four years old. Got him out of there, got themselves out of there. And of course, those of you who are paying attention and know a little history, you know, this is the period of what we call the Great Migration. The South lost six, seven million people, mostly black, who moved to the North in search of a better life. Not just economically, but spiritually because the hatred in the South was, was vivid and constant. And your life was always tenuous at best. You just didn't know what was going to happen next. So they moved away from there to Bed-Stuy. Now, little Max grew up in Bed-Stuy with a mother who was a gospel singer. And she was a church woman. And singing that gospel. And I believe born in North Carolina in 1924, living there in that great dismal swamp area. That'll make you get close to God. So that's what she did. And Max grew up in that home with all this gospel, all this music, all this rhythm. Yeah. At an early age, he actually played the bugle. Yeah, I'm going to talk about this for a while because uh, I did drum and bugle corps for 30 years. And uh, drum and bugle corps these days are largely, uh, how shall I say this? Uh, let's just say there's not a whole lot of blacks involved. <laughs> yeah, not a lot at all. Uh, even to this very day, there's not a lot of blacks. I think I'm one of only four or five blacks ever inducted into the Drum Corps International Hall of Fame. But these little drum corps were like little social outlets where benevolent organizations would put together these little units and provide some instruments to keep the kids off the streets and keep them out of trouble. And of course, Mike's family was looking to raise him upright in bed style, so they got him involved in one of those groups. 
and he played the bugle. Now at some point, he transitioned to drums. And the understanding is he transitioned to drums primarily to play behind gospel groups. Probably because his mama said so. <laughs> so he's back there just playing grooves for the gospel thing. And, and that's working really good. But he was extremely talented. And the first instrument being a melodic instrument, his approach to drumming was informed by the melodic impulses he gained from playing a melodic instrument such as a bugle. He progressed really, really fast. He worked really, really hard. So hard that at 18 years of age, he got a call to replace Sonny Payne in Duke Ellington's orchestra. Let me say it one more time. He is replacing Sonny Payne, one of the greatest swing drummers of all time, in Duke's orchestra for a concert at perhaps the largest theater, live music venue in New York, which was the Paramount Theater. That's getting a good start, baby. 18. Woo! Now, a lot of people would just lay back and celebrate the accomplishment. Huh. Not Maxwell. Max. He started heading out to the jazz clubs on 52nd. He's hanging out with all the boys. He's learned from all the boys that are trying to make this thing happen. This new music is emerging, and he is right there. And eventually, he goes over to 78th and Broadway to play with his schoolmate at the Boys School of New York in Bed-Stuy, Mr. Payne, who was a baritone sax player. They're playing at uh, Georgie J's Tap Room on 78th in Broadway. That's one of his first professional gigs. He kept going over to 52nd and into Harlem and eventually into Minton's where the bebop thing is starting to happen. And during his life, his early life, he played with everybody that was anybody. I'm going to try to name as many as I can because I do mean everybody. Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, Theolonious Monk, Bud Powell, uh, Abby Lincoln, the great uh, singer, Dinah Washington, Coleman Hawkins, uh, Clifford Brown, just Richie Powell, just on and on and on, Sonny Rollins, Harold Land. If they were on the scene, they wanted Max to play with them, even Miles Davis. Yeah, they wanted him. Now, Max and Brother Clark, they're doing something different with the drums. They're starting to play melodically on the drum. They start not just to play time, but to play 
with the melody. Accentuate the melody. Fill things up. They're, they've taken themselves out of just playing time and they're now playing music. Integrating themselves inside the arrangement, inside the melody, inside all of that. They're using the rise cymbal different. They're using the bass drum different. And they're certainly using that hi-hat different. You see, Max watched and learned. And I have seen him walk on stage with a single instrument, well, part of a drum set, the hi-hat, and just play a car show on a hi-hat. He got that from Papa Joe Jones. And no one did it better than Max except Papa Joe Jones. So Max had this incredible arsenal and he is creating this new approach to jazz drums. Most people will tell you that he may be the most important drummer in the history of modern jazz. One thing I want to mention, his experience in drum corps or in a little chord playing with bugles and street bands was not unique to him. Another great drummer, Elvin Jones, also played in street bands on drums and was actually uh, a rudimental stand drum champion uh, in the state of Michigan, which is where Elvin was from. And uh, Max uh, had the same kind of chops that Elvin had, but he also had that other stuff that Elvin inherited from Max. Now, you would think that would be enough. That would be enough. He's doing play with the biggest cats. He's changing the direction of jazz as we know it. He is reinventing jazz drumming. Not enough. 1950, right at the transition between bop and hard bop, he enrolls at the Manhattan School of Music. Not to study jazz, but to study classical percussion. He wanted all. He wanted great rudimental standard with that match grip. He also started learning, sorry, rudimental grip. He also learned the match grip because he was playing timpani, xylophone, and vibes, and rimber, and all that, and all the other smaller percussion instruments. He studied from 1950 to 1953 at Manhattan School of Music. He is so high regarded by the Manhattan School of Music that in 1990, they awarded him an honorary doctorate in music. This is a bad boy. And this is somebody who's hungry for knowledge. But not only did he pursue the classical at the Manhattan School of Music, you see, he also was very interested in Afro-Caribbean music. And I said Afro-Caribbean. I didn't say Afro-Cuban. So in the late 40s, just before he went to the Manhattan School of Music, he went down to Haiti. I said Haiti. That's not the way you say it. 
I was corrected by a Haitian many years ago. Aite. He went to Aite and studied African and Afro-Caribbean drumming with a master drummer, a role, role, legendary drummer in Haiti. He comes back and continues to do his thing at even a higher level and starts integrating his tongs to create even more melodic content in his drumming because, as you know, African drums are tonal. And he used his toms to emulate all that he had learned in Aite. Oh, yeah. He's a sponge, an aggressive sponge. He's never satisfied. He wants to learn. And he wants to learn just so he can take his music to a higher level. And not just his music, the music he loves, jazz, to a higher level. Jazz, to a higher level. Now, Mike's played everything. He played classical, he played pop, he played this and that. He even did some work with hip hop artists. We'll talk about that in part two. But through it all, he remained a jazz drummer, period. It became time for him to go out on his own, to do his own thing. And there's a young trumpet player who is tearing the world up. His name is Clifford Brown. They call him Brownie. Oh, yeah. He ends up playing with Brownie and making, I think, six or seven albums with him. All the albums I think Brownie made, for the most part, with this particular group. And that group is Richie Powell, who is a brother of Bud Powell, and Harold Land, and cats like that, and Ben is cooking. Most people will tell you that that band with Max Roach and Clifford Brown and those guys is the highest level of small jazz combo music produced in the hard bop, bebop era at the level of Louis Armstrong and his hard five and hard seven, at the level of Charlie Parker's best albums at the level of Miles Davis's best albums. As a matter of fact, prior to all of this, in 1945, he had recorded with Charlie Parker for Savoy Records on a recording date that everybody says changed the course of jazz. Got Bud Powell in there. Ooh, whoa. You got Mingus in there on bass. Ooh, whoa. We talking about some serious cats playing some serious music. Oh, yeah. And then, later on, there's the greatest concert of all, which is called uh, Jazz at Massey Hall, uh, which, yeah, Max is again. 
So everything he is doing is at the highest level and it doesn't matter who he does it with, it's going to be at the highest level. Well, he worked with Brownie until Brownie and Richie were killed in a car accident. And he reconfigured the group with Booker Little playing trumpet and Sonny Rollins uh, playing sax because Harold Land had left after that first year. So he spent a lot of time at Sonny Rollins. And of course, Sonny Rollins uh, being uh, from the Caribbean, or his family from the Caribbean, all that work he'd done in Aite, that kind of helped him to have greater collaborations and musical understanding, rhythmic understanding, and interplay and conversations with Sonny and the band when they were doing what they were doing. So Max is a true pioneer, a true innovator, and a true student of the music. Now he wasn't a snob. There was a young singer around named Dinah Washington. And although she would later be known, and at the time she was known as a pop singer, a R&B singer. She called herself a blues singer. But he started playing with her around 1955, and they made great music at all of these concerts. And the reason he started playing live with her in 1945 is that in 1954, he had recorded an album with her that called Dinah Jam with a live audience and everything else. And most people will tell you that that album is one of the best vocal jazz albums of all time. Coming from a singer who was noted for pop and R&B. Down at Jams, you gotta go check it out cause Max is there and he's making that jazz happen. And Dinah is making it happen too. You need to go check that out. I cannot say enough about the wonderful work that he did. Later on in 1958, Dinah gets a chance to do the Newport Jazz Festival. Ooh, this is big. This is huge. Outdoor festival, the biggest, oh my God. Who does she call? Who are you going to call? You're going to call Max Roach if you want to swing? Oh yeah, you're going to call Max? So she called Max. That concert, 1958 Newport, is on film. And I'm sure if you look hard enough, you can find it. Dinah is at her best, and Max is percolating so much, you think the coffee pot is going to burn itself up. Get it, Max. That's right, baby. So this is the beginning, the beginning of the career of Mr. Maxwell Lumio Roach. And the best is yet to come. So 
I'm going to pause at this point, and we're going to end Mike's Roach Part 1 right now. He did get a lot of great awards, and we'll talk about that later. He made all this great music. We'll talk about this later. He supported other musicians. We'll talk about that later. He was a family man. Well, yeah, he was married three or four times. But he took care of his kids and his grandkids and even his wives. All four of them continued to love him to the very end. Max Roach was firing on all cylinders, baby. And that is why he is such a legend and a giant among giants in the world of jazz, especially jazz drumming. We'll be back. Thank you.